0: It's Amy's Table, a girl's guide to living with Amy Tobin on Q102. Pull up a chair and join us.
1: We spend nearly a third of our lives asleep, but most of us have only the faintest idea of how it affects us. And we're not alone. One out of every seven Americans has a long-term sleep disorder. Another 20 million are thought to suffer from short-term insomnia at any time. And there are more than 75 recognized sleep disorders. Sleep? it turns out, is the dirty little secret of science. And joining me today is David Randall. He's written a book, Dreamland, where he explores everything about sleep. Hi, David. How are you?
0: Good. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Well, I guess you got interested in sleep the hard way, huh? Sleepwalking, sleep talking?
0: Yeah, you could say that the topic almost literally hit me in the face. <laughs> uh, I started I started sleepwalking one night and I uh, ran into one of uh, our, our hallway walls and woke up on my back in a lot of pain, um, pain in my knee, and I went to my doctor and said, you know, I've long been a sleep talker, but now I'm I'm becoming mobile. What, what can you do for me? And he said, you know what, I have to be honest. There's a lot we know about sleep, but there's a lot we don't know. Uh, so it almost felt like I had to sleepwalk past the, the frontier, you know, past past medical help. Yeah. Uh, so I decided to find out. You know how how is sleep affecting me? How is it affecting everybody else? And why don't we know more about this third of our lives?
1: It is kind of amazing, and and of course everybody knows sleep is restorative, but there's so much going on, I guess. And and first, tell me a little bit about sleepwalking. I mean, is that more common than we think? And and is it something to be concerned about?
0: It is more common than scientists originally thought. Um, new research has come out that about a third of Americans or a third of adults will sleepwalk at least once in their lives. Uh, Generally, it tends to be people who are younger, you know, kids, 12 or younger, sleepwalk more than adults. But about 5% of adults sleepwalk regularly. And it's, you know, generally it doesn't show that something's wrong with your brain or anything else. The real danger comes when uh, a sleepwalker can become, you know, harm himself or someone else. Right. Uh, there's cases of, you know, people um, trying to drive, whether sleepwalking or, uh. um, you know, somebody tries to wake up, somebody sleepwalking, they the researchers don't know why, but if you try to wake an adult sleepwalker, they often react rashly and, and can be violent.
1: Oh, that's scary, too. Well, let me ask you, had you not bashed into the wall, would you necessarily have ever known you sleepwalked?
0: No, this was the first time I started sleepwalking or at least the first time I did it so badly that I ran into something. Right. Um, But after I started working on the book, I I realized that there can be a genetic component to sleepwalking as well. And I was talking with my dad and he said, oh, you know, I used to sleepwalk. And he grew up on a farm in Kansas and he was telling me stories of sleepwalking and and waking up in the cornfield and having no (gasps) idea how you got there.
1: Oh, that's so scary. That is so scary. Well, okay, so if we bump into an adult sleepwalker, don't try to wake them up. Maybe try to guide them gently back to bed. Is that reasonable?
0: That's reasonable, or um, also try to get everything out of their way so that it can't be a harm to themselves. You know, make sure that they're not going to get close to to their car or something else. There's this, this misconception that sleepwalkers you know, kind of walking around with a zombie with their eyes closed, well, literally, they their eyes are open. They are literally half asleep. So the part of their brain that can have kind of spatial awareness and tell it to, to move up and downstairs stairs or, or anything else, that's awake. Mm-hmm. If the part of the brain that is, you know, rational thought or recognizes the faces of somebody as your loved one or, or anybody else, that part is asleep. So there's wow. going to be no rational thought. It's just trying to make sure that they're not a danger to themselves or, or somebody else.
1: I have to say, it would scare me, I think, if I encountered an adult sleepwalker. I know my kids might have sleptwalked a little bit once or twice, but, well, it's funny. Occasionally, I have been asleep in my bed and woken myself with my own voice. And I've got to say, that startles me, too, to realize, oh, my God, I was just talking. (laughs) So what's the story with sleep talking?
0: I I, I noticed that on planes many times. You know, somebody might be asleep, and... They they snore and they wake themselves up. That's that's pretty common. But I've I've been on planes when somebody starts sleep talking and everyone kinda gets kind of confused, how should we react to them? Or is this person really talking to me or not? Yeah. Uh, What should I do?
1: And so what is the story with sleep talking? Is it a dream state or is it sort of like sleepwalking your I mean, what's going on with that?
0: It is very similar to sleepwalking. So when you're sleeping, your brain goes through different sleep cycles. And the biggest is is the transition between rapid eye movement sleep, REM sleep, which is when most dreams occur and that's a time when your brain is actually as active as it is when you're awake. And your body essentially paralyzes itself. So that's why you don't act out your dreams. So you, you switch between REM sleep and then the other part of sleep, which is called non-REM sleep. You do that about six or eight times during the night. Well, these handoffs aren't always smooth. So when that happens, you can have an overlap between two different mental states at one time. So part of your brain might be thinking that it's paralyzed, and the other part of the brain might not be. So when that happens, you can sleep talk, you can sleep walk, you can do all these complex behaviors that your brain doesn't realize, basically, that you're still sleeping.
1: Wow, that was really well explained. I completely grasp that, and that makes so much sense. There is so much to learn about sleep. If you're just joining us, we're speaking to David Randall. He's the author of Dreamland, and not only sleepwalking, talking, but dreams, of course, are part of sleep. And I understand that when you started to write the book, you were a little bit skeptical about dreams. I was.
0: I thought that, you know, this idea that, you know, dreams are full of these symbols that we can unpack later, um, and we're telling these deep star- secrets to ourselves, it kind of seemed like a plot device set up a really bad soap opera. You know, I was very skeptical. Um, but then I started, you know, talking with people who study dreams, and I went to dream groups where people talked about their dreams. And I realized that, you know, the whole idea of Freudian interpretation of dreams really has kind of gone, gone up the, the window. It's, got, it's kind of gone in the past and the, by the wayside. But now researchers think that why we dream could be uh, part of why we dream could be an important part of how we learn and how our brains prepare for the next day. So basically, they found that most dreams are are very anxiety ridden. Um, you know, if you're if you're a waiter, you, you dream about dropping food on somebody. If you're starting a new job, you, you think about getting fired and all these other things. So dreams might be a way for our brains to essentially have a dress rehearsal for the next day. We go through the worst case scenario, and then when we're there the next morning or the next day, it's not as bad as we, we actually think.
1: So sort of a safe um, so way. Sort of a safe way to explore your fears or your anxieties while your body's at rest. You maybe you don't get the same anxiety ridden physical feelings you might get if you thought all of that during the day. Is that reasonable too, sort of
0: somewhat. So basically, you know, most of us have when we we're not thinking about something else, we, we worry. And when you're sleeping your brain doesn't have anything else that it can focus on. There's nothing competing for your contes- content attention. So then worries become bigger and bigger, and that's what your brain focuses on. And you also tend to just dream about things you you do during the day. Most people dream about the people they know. Um, and if they dream about someone they don't know, researchers now have found the dream is much more. The person in that dream, the stranger in the dream, is much more likely to react violently or or uh, mean in some way. Hmm. Um, so basically, it shows that um, you know with kind of the fear of the unknown. Um, but then the other part of how we dream and how we sleep could be how our brains basically sort the information we've learned each day and what to keep and what to toss. You know, because we pick up so much information. Um, what we're going about our day, you know, what our coworkers' tie looked like, how the traffic was, what we ate, and if it was for lunch and if it was any good. And most of that we don't need to remember. Um, so sleep and, and dreams especially could be the time when the brain says, okay, here's this information that's important and here's the information that's not important. So this information that we need to keep, how does that relate to what we already know? So then dreams could be the brain just trying to find connections. So that's why all these things come out from you know, long-term memory. It's the, brain, the brain is trying to find out how does that react? How can I synthesize that with what I already know? And researchers know this you know, from having people play video games, basically. So when they woke them up in the middle, the beginning of the sleep, they all their dreams were about almost exactly the video games they were playing. You know, they, if they were playing Tetris, they dreamed about the shapes falling down. Mm. If they were playing a game where they were skiing down a mountain, they, they dreamed about mountains and skiing. But then if they woke them up right before they were going to, you know, wake up naturally, you know, seven, eight hours later, they were still dreaming very, very similar things, but it had turned into analysis. So instead of saying, you know, I'm skiing, I'm going down a hill, they were saying, you know, I'm moving incredibly quickly through my office, but I can't move my legs. So you can see there's still the, yeah. the basis of skiing, but it's not the same literal interpretation. It's, it's moved it to a different type of thinking.
1: So many people don't really remember their dreams, and that's okay too. Or, or should we strive to try to remember them?
0: Well, basically, if you so much of what whether you remember your dreams or not is what uh, what sleep stage you're waking up from. So, if you wake up just from directly from REM sleep, REM sleep, it's more likely that you're going to remember your dream because you were you were dreaming then. But if you wake up from another. Sleep stage. You know, there's there's five sleep stages overall, and REM sleep is, is one of them. But the other four are, are just different lighter stages of sleep. If you wake up from some of these, you might not remember your dream. Uh, and also, one strange thing about dreams is that they can seem so real when you're dreaming, but then once you wake up, and two minutes later, you can't remember it whatsoever. Right. So some people they might they could remember their dreams if they kind of focused on that when they first wake up. They say, okay, what was I dreaming about? I want to remember this. But a lot of people, you know, they get up because their alarm's going off or their kids are crying or something else. So there's no time for that reflection.
1: Did you discover in the book, I mean, I know sleep is so good for us and I've got to say the more sleep I get, the better I feel. I'm really learning that as I'm getting older. Mm -hmm. But is there some optimal amount of sleep for any of us or some quality of sleep that's kind of critical for us?
0: Well, REM sleep is the most critical part. Um, There have been studies that basically put people through sleep deprivation just, just to see what happens and then when they go back to sleep their bodies, their brains instantly go into REM sleep which is rare you know it usually takes a couple uh, 15 minutes 45 minutes for your, for your brain to go into that stage of sleep so it suggests that the brain is hungry for it it goes right back into it um, but in terms of overall sleep uh, what's researchers think is that you basically need one hour for, of sleep for every two hours that you're awake. So that's where you get the whole 8 hours sleep. Um, but it doesn't have to come in that eight-hour block that we're kind of always taught. Hmm. Um, what's most important is total sleep time over 24 hours. So say you get six hours sleep at night, and then you're able to take a two-hour nap, you're still getting all the same health benefits of sleep without then the anxiety. You know, some people wake up at 2 in the morning and find that they're awake, and they scare themselves. They think I need to get sleep because I know right. it's good for me in all these other ways. So then they they think, okay, I have to fall asleep in five minutes. And if I don't, um, then I'm going to take a sleeping pill. And sleeping pills don't necessarily improve your sleep. You know, they what they really do is you know Ambien and so many of these other drugs. What they really do is um, prevent your brain from create from capturing short term memories. So you might take a sleeping pill and then toss and turn all night, and you just won't remember it the next day.
1: Oh, because interesting! So people are thinking they're getting all this great sleep; they just can't remember they weren't a, they were awake.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a, it's just a blank blank slate, basically.
1: Oh, that's interesting! Wow. So, do you expect in the coming years that we are going to learn even more about sleep? Do you think we're just sort of perched on the edge of all that there is to learn?
0: Definitely, uh, researchers think that they're basically in a golden age of sleep research. They're finding new things left and right. Um, so, one of the biggest things in the future will be whether there can be a biological marker for how sleepy you are or not or how much fatigue you have, um, almost as if, you know, blood alcohol level. You know that if, you, if you're over 0.08, then you're drunk, basically. Well, if there can be that same kind of biological marker for sleep, that could change things so much as well.
1: Well, it is absolutely fascinating. Again, the book is Dreamland Adventures in the Strange Science of Sleep by David Randall. And I'll put all of David's information as well as some fascinating sleep facts on com. But David, where can we send people for more information about you?
0: Uh, you can go to my website. So it's davidkentrandall.com.
1: Perfect. I'll put a link online for that as well. Well, thank you so much. Very interesting information on sleep.
0: Oh, thanks so much for having me. Stick around for another helping from Amy's Table on Q102. Q! It's Amy's Table
1: with Amy Tolman. Yeah. Q102.